let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through uh, 8, uh, and then we will uh, dive in. I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. God, we thank you for the pictures of your glory, the pictures of your majesty, the pictures of your holy, holiness that are in your word. So God, I pray tonight that we would, be, uh, we would see you more clearly and see you more accurately how you have revealed yourself in your holy word. Uh, Father, I pray that you would um, be kind to your people. God, they have made the decision to come back tonight to hear your word. So God, I pray that you would meet them by the power of your Holy Spirit, enrich them, build them up by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, I made, I made the point uh, that before we really change, we, it all starts with a proper view of God. So if we understand who Jesus is rightly, uh, everything else will, will follow uh, after that. Uh, in our Sunday school class this morning, uh, we had a quote from David Jeremiah who said, the biblical Jesus has been dragged through the mud in this culture. Uh, and the, the, I think what he was trying to get at is that there is so many um, images or ideas about who God is and who Jesus is that are, that are put forward uh, in, our, in our culture. You know, it seems that anybody can say anything about who they think God is and people will listen to them. Um, uh, this past weekend, me and the kids uh, had a movie night and we watched the, the Lego movie, you know, um, and in the Lego movie there's a scene that says, you don't know who I am, but I'm on TV, therefore you can trust me. And isn't that often how things are, right? Just because someone is, is, is in, in a certain position or, or saying certain things, they deem themselves trustworthy. Well, there's only one source that we should look at as trustworthy. So we look at understand who God is and who is Jesus. It, it's only what is revealed in the Scripture. Uh, so one of the things that I, that I continually try to do every single week is to teach who Jesus is. Who is God? How has God revealed himself? from the scripture. So we're going to bank everything on what God has revealed to us in his holy word, not on the ideas of what we think God is or we think 
Jesus is in our own mind or what is told to us by our culture, but no, but who God is. So we want to see God in light of his glory. So if I was going to title this, it's in light of his glory. So the first thing we want to see here is the Savior in light of his glory. The Savior in light of his glory. Just look at the beginning here. Uh, this is a vision that Isaiah sees of the Lord. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. One of the things I just want you to continue to point out is that our faith is rooted in history. Uh, there's a date there. Those dates are not just arbitrary, that they just kind of put those in there just for effect. No, they put a date there to tell you that this actually happened in history. Uzziah was a king. and In the, day that the, the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So we want to make sure that we continue to ground our, our faith in history because our world wants to take the history out of it. They want to remove the, 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 the histori- historicity of our, of our faith and say, well, that's just myths. Well, we don't believe in myths. We believe in facts. So um, let's, let's even the playing field. But it says right here at the beginning, I saw the Lord. Can we just say that that is the start of true faith? Uh, it says in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have to see the Lord. We have to look upon who he is. This is what we're trying to do every single week. We come and we, we come with all our issues, with all our baggage, with all our, our anxieties, with all our sin struggles, with all our impatience, with all our, our jealousy and our rage. And we want to see the Lord. We want to hear from God. So this is what happens with Isaiah. He sees the Lord. And I think this is so important for us again and again and again because there's so many ways that you can, you can bring people uh, in to the house of the Lord. There's so many different um, uh, pragmatic solutions. But what we want is we want to show people Jesus. We want to sh- have them see the Lord. And that's what exactly what Isaiah does right here. He saw the Lord. Now, look at the description here in terms of how the Lord is pictured. Uh, because when we, when we look at God, when God is, just, is talked about in, in the Bible, he is not mocked and he's not thrown underfoot. Uh, our culture likes to throw God underfoot and kind of put him down. Well, the scripture does this with the Lord. They lift him up. Look what it says right here. It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. The throne, as you see right there, the image of a king, right? He is a, a king. He's sitting on a throne. He has a kingdom to rule. And it says he's high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled uh, the temple. Now, in our Western democratic context, it's hard for us always to think about kings, you know, because, you know, in our culture, if you don't speak against the president, you're almost uh, the exception to the rule. <laughs> you know, in our culture, it is, it's almost normal to speak ill of those who are in authority. But in, 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 the, <clears throat> in the day of the scriptures, uh, if you spoke against the king, you were beheaded. And the size of, of someone's throne or how high their, their chair was, it was lifted high and lifted up. That was a picture of how much authority they had, how much they ruled. So in those days, a, a king was looked at as powerful in the, the area that he ruled, depending on how, how big his train of his robe was. You know, so if he had a long train, he ruled over a, long, a large area of land. He was uh, over much space. Well, it says here that the Lord was sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I think the picture is here, it's, it's the picture of heaven, what, what, what Isaiah is, is seeing here. 
Uh, and he's seeing this, this, this robe that is high and lifted up. And do you know that this idea of being lifted high is what we're trying to exalt, right? God is exalting himself because he's above everything. He's the Lord of all. This is one of the reasons why um, in the history of the church, uh, pulpits have always been raised. You know, sometimes we say, well, it's raised so people can see, it, see you easier. Okay, that, that, that may be one pragmatic solution. But in the old days, the pulpit used to be really high. Uh, so you have to, pu- preachers had to walk several flights of stairs uh, to get up. And the picture wasn't trying to elevate the preacher. What, what were they trying to elevate? They were trying to elevate the Word of God, you know. So when I, when I climb the pulpit and I preach, it, it, I, I'm coming with a different level of authority. I'm not coming on my authority. We're coming on the authority of the Word of God. Uh, one of the things I really respect about our deacon body is that they've told me time and time again, it is our job to protect the pulpit. We have to protect the pulpit. We have to protect the preaching of the Word. And there are some godly men who serve as deacons who will do nothing. Uh, they, will, they will lay their lives down to protect the pulpit. That's the picture we see here. Right? The word is lifted up. It is highlighted above all else. We are submitting to what God says to us. That's what the, the picture of, of, of the Lord here. He is high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the entire temple. And, the, and look who's surrounding him. Above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim really just means burning ones. Uh, we don't give a whole lot of uh, descriptions here, but we said that each had six wings. Uh, two covered his face. The two covered his feet. And the two, he flew. Uh, Even God's ministers, the ministers who were flying next to him, could not look upon his glory, could not look upon his majesty. So they covered his eyes. But when you see God's um, servants, those who serve him, they're not really babyish. You know, when we think of angels, what do we tend to think of? That chubby babies, you know, with wings. And if you have those in your houses, that's fine. But when you look at the scriptures, the scriptures show God's warriors as fearful, right? Burning ones with six wings, two covering their eyes, two covering their feet, and two they're flying. These are not um, creatures to be, to, be, um, to be like laughed at. These are creatures to be feared. Why? Because our Lord is one who should be and it says this in verse 3 and the one called to the other and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory when you see things repeated in the scriptures that's really a sign that they're trying to drive home a point so if it says um in the sermon on the mount for example jesus often says truly truly i say to you that truly, truly is there to say, listen to what I'm going to say. I'm saying something really important. What they're saying here is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Right? There is some majesty that comes along with that. So that's why we, uh, at a great hymn of the faith, a holy, holy, holy. It's usually number two or one or two in the hymnals. Uh, we sing that because it's, it's a biblical uh, picture of the Lord. It's the Lord of hosts. The Lord is over many angelic um, beings. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this can be kind of interesting because when you think about the glory of the Lord, you would think his majesty would be reigning. Uh, but when we look around at our world, do we see God's glory everywhere? Well, we, in one sense we do. We see his, how he had made the world. You know, he, he gave us creation, and we see how that speaks to the glory of God. 
It says in Psalm 19, uh, verse 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So we see that in some sense, but we also see a lot of ugliness in our world. We see a lot of things that are not right. But even there, even in sin and wickedness, you know what's going to happen? God is going to demonstrate His glory in judgment. God will always win. Period. It doesn't matter, um, you know, the question is not if for us, it's just when. When is the Lord going to be uh, victorious? God can turn things on its head in a moment. The whole earth is full of His, of his glory. And this is one of the things I, I may have shared with you before, uh, but different deities or gods were often looked at as referring to be as kings or rulers. Uh, so um, in in uh, certain regions, a deity, this would be the god of the sun or the god of the moon, and they would create idols or images, right, carved out of wood and stone. And, uh, and the more idols that were created was the sign of how big that area in which that god, small g, ruled uh, in that day. But the, the image that covers the, the earth, the idols, in one sense, are human beings. Human beings are created what? In the image of of God. So we are, in one sense, many idols that fill the entire earth. So all these little gods who create uh, these, these, these things of wood and stone to, to cover a certain region to say how powerful their God is. Our God says, my people cover the earth. My people are everywhere. My glory fills the earth. Verse 4, this is the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Smoke is, is an idea of they couldn't fully see and look upon his glory. It's kind of masking a little of the glory because it says in Exodus, if anyone was going to look at the, the face of the Lord, they would die. I don't think, as a people, we think about God's glory enough. We don't think about who God is. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to Im- imagine how beautiful and how holy and how awesome God is. But we don't settle there. We don't think. We don't want to go deeper. What we typically want to do is we say, okay, I got that. Now give me practical. Give me the practical things that are going to help in my day-to-day. How is this going to help me deal with my, my, my coworker at work? How this is going to help me deal with a straying grandchild? How is this going to help me be a better parent? How is this going to help me deal with my abusive husband? Give me something. Give me something practical. Talk, stop talking about all this glory business. Give me something practical. The bottom line is, if you do not see the glory of God, you will never be able to be practical. I, sh- I shared it at Adam and Ellen's wedding. I said, you know, the, the best way uh, for you, you will love each other most when you like love Christ first. Right? If Christ is your first love, if you glory in Christ the most, then you will love each other. That is just the way things work. So if you want to have a good marriage, you should magnify the glory of God in your life. If you want to be a good parent, you should magnify the glory of God in your life. If you want to be a good grandparent or great-grandparent, you should magnify the glory of God in your life. And if you do that, the rest will follow. This is exactly what Isaiah did. He saw the Lord. So, second point. We see ourselves in light of His glory. We see ourselves in light of His glory. So we saw the Savior, now we see ourselves. Look what it says in verse 5. And I said... Woe is me, for I am lost. Isn't that what we were talking about this morning? 
about those who were lost, those who, were, uh, who, had, who had gone astray, like, like sheep, we've all gone astray. Isaiah was in the presence of God, and he could not compare himself to his neighbor. He could not compare himself to another human being. He could only compare himself to God. And what is God? God is holy. God is above. God is high and lifted up. His throne is filled with his glory. And in light of that, he says, I'm undone. I'm ruined. I am lost. How can I stand before that holy, majestic God? This is why if you are a a sinner coming in to the house of the Lord, gathered as God's people, so we are the house of the Lord. When people gather into us, there should feel something different. They should feel They should feel conviction. They should feel a drawing to God, but they should also feel a weightiness of their sin, how they are separate from God. Woe is me. When we see the light of the glory of God, we will be undone. So this is how people are saved. This is how people serve God. One, we see God for who He is, and two, we see ourselves in light of who God is. that, That is the foundation of the whole entire Scriptures. The Bible speaks about who God is, and then how do, who are we in relation to God? Well, the Bible says that we are sinners. We are separate from Him. Uh, we are condemned because of our sin. He says, I am lost. And then He gives the reason. I, I am a man of unclean lips. Now, when we think of unclean lips, and many of us would probably say, well, this, it's His language that He's using, you know? Uh, you know, Isaiah was probably using, maybe he's using profanity or using things that, you know, speaking ill of his neighbor. But I don't think that's what he means here. Because Isaiah was a righteous man. Uh, you know, there, there are people who are, who are sinners, but are still, you know, righteous in, in, in that sense, that, that they do good. And when you, when you meet them, um, they're just a man of integrity. Ella told me that when, when Buddy McCarter died, uh, he, she just, she said, you'll never meet a finer gentleman. He was, he, was a, he was a righteous man in, in that sense of the word. He was a, a man of true moral character and integrity. So in that sense, he was righteous. Um, but we know that ultimately there's only one who is righteous, and that is God, one who is perfect, one who is at, without uh, blame. So when I think what it says here, he's a man of unclean lips. What I think he's trying to get at, it says this a lot in the Scriptures. It says that you, you worship me with your, your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So in Psalm 15, it says, who can, can, can climb the holy hill? Who can climb into Mount Zion? It says, he who speaks no lie in his heart. And here's what happens many times on Sunday morning. There's many people who come in and they sing songs and they say things. They may repeat things in other, in other denominations, but they're not doing it from the heart. They're saying one thing with their lips, but their heart is far from God. And in the presence of the Holy One, Isaiah was saying, my lips have spoken lies because I have not truly understood your glory. I am a man of unclean lips. But I want you to see something. Isaiah does not separate himself individually. How does Isaiah speak? He says the very next thing he says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So you see that same thing, that, that refrain. I saw the Lord in verse 1, then I, I see, I've seen the King, the Lord of hosts, in verse 5. 
So he says, I am a person of unclean lips, and I am with a people of unclean lips. Um, this is one of the things that I, I try to do. I'm not sure if I do it well, but I'm not above you as your pastor. Uh, you know, I, I'm a sinner just like you. You know, I have, I have authority in, in, in your life to speak God's word to you. But there's many times I don't say you when I preach. What do I usually say? We. I don't say there, I say are. Because I am with you. You are the people that God has called me to shepherd. See, God always speaks in community. God has always called his people to be in community. That's exactly what it's saying here. Isaiah is saying, I am a person of unclean lips, and I am among a people of unclean lips. His heart was never separate from the people of God. It was always connected to the people of God. So when people try to live their life outside of a people, of, of a community of faith, they are going against the whole flow of the New Testament. Right? It may sound admirable, but it's not the biblical witness of community. He saw himself. And what did he say? Woe is me, I am lost. The, the third thing we see is the salvation in light of the glory. In salvation in light of his glory. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Now, Isaiah just says, I am lost. <laughs> I am lost. I am undone. I am ruined. I, 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 I can't stand before his glory. That's what his confession. He confessed the reality of his condition before God. But then he started walking towards God. He started trying to, to, to do something to honor him. And that's when the, the seraphim flew to him. No. What happened? What did Isaiah do to, to make the seraphim fly with this burning coal? Nothing. <laughs> he did nothing. He just stood there. He confessed his sin. He confessed who he was in light of God's glory. And God pursued him. God moved towards him. This is the grace in which we preach. This is the grace in which we, we revel and marvel at is that we did nothing to bring salvation upon ourselves. God brought it to us. Look what it says. The, the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a, a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I mean, can you imagine the, the change that happened in his life in those moments? Okay? In one moment, he sees God's glory and he's shaking, literally afraid for his very soul. I'm lost. I'm undone. What am I going to do? And in that moment when he was at his worst and he confessed his sin, God came to him and said, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. That, that is what happens with, when we come to Christ. That is the picture of Jesus in the New Testament. I'm working through the book of Hebrews right now, and it says in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, um, Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to us by, our, by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Then it says, after making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and, and was given the name that is more superior to the angels. Um, 
the picture there of Jesus is that Jesus Christ came to make purification for sins. And how did he do that? Well, he, he came and he died in our place. It's a song that Wade just, just sung, right? We are saved by this grace because Jesus Christ stood in our place, took God's wrath for me and for you, believer. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That because of Jesus Christ, all your sin is atoned for. You will never be held accountable for your sin again because Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty in full. Um, I love that, love that story of um, this man going before a judge and the judge says, or the man says, you know, um, you know or the judge rather says, you know, you owe me $25,000. The guy's like, well, hey, I, I don't have $25,000, you know. So, well, if you can't pay the $25,000, you're going to be sent to prison for the rest of your life. Sorry, that's just the way our, our system works. The man starts crying and says, I, I can't pay. I can't pay. What about my family? What, what am I going to do? I can't. I can't. I'm lost. I'm undone. I can't, I can't do anything. But the, the judge says, I'm sorry. And he slams the gavel down. And then he gets up. He takes off his robe. He walks around next to this man and, and, and hands him a $25,000 check and says, your, your debt is paid. You're free to go. That's the picture of the gospel, right? We had this large debt that we couldn't pay, and God stepped out of heaven, stepped out of this glory that we just saw, and came to us and said, um, paid in full. You're free to go. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Do you see that, how all these three work together? If we understand the holiness of God, and we understand who we are in light of him, we should be undone. We should realize that we deserve to be damned for our sin in an eternal hell. We should realize that. And then in the very next moment, God says, I pursued you. I have taken away your guilt through my son who died in your place and rose on your behalf. Your sin is atoned for. Do you understand how that should cause our hearts to rejoice? This is the, the idea when people come to Christ, there should be rejoicing in heaven. Rejoice with me. This sinner who was, who was lost and who was undone, who could not achieve salvation, but was condemned to hell. He's been saved. He's been saved. Rejoice with me. Isn't it great? I can't write. I, rem- I remember when I found out that um, Ellen was pregnant with Olivia. And man, I was just happy. You know, when you find out that you're pregnant, what do you do? Dude, guess what? Guess what? I'm having a baby! Woohoo! There's some excitement there. That's what should happen when we when sinners come to Christ, you know? And I think too often that you know, how do you balance that? How do you balance a reverence for God, you know, when we, when we enter into the, into the place of worship and not be casual when we come, but at the same time be like David who danced, who danced with the joy in his heart for the Lord. I think we need to have a balance there. Um, well, let me just lastly close here. After we see those three things, and after we're saved, we really see um, the power that it takes to understand the mission that God calls us to. Look what he, how he ends this in verse 8. Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? You see the word things there? The Lord says, I, who I will send. And then he says, Who will go for us? Kind of an allusion right there to the Trinity. Um, Then he said, here I am. Here am I. Send me. 
Now, did Isaiah know the calling in which God had for his life? No. At this point, he had no idea what God wanted him to do. He didn't know if he wanted him to go, you know, be a missionary. Go. He had no idea what the commission that God had given him. But you know what? It didn't matter. You know why? I saw his glory, and I saw who I am in light of his glory, and he saved me. He saved me by his grace. I will go. I will go and do whatever you ask me to do. You see how that fuels everything? If we understand that the calling of the mission in terms of who God, where God sends us, the life he, he calls us to, the, the cancer that he calls us to face, the, the, the breaking down in relationships he calls us to deal with, the ordinary people that God brings in our life, you know, when, when all those things happen, when we see everything in light of the gospel, in light that we deserve to be damned for our sin, and yet he saves us by his grace, all our sin is atoned for, we say, who shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Now, if you look at the, the rest of the chapter, uh, Isaiah did not have a very easy calling. Look at verse 9. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest their eyes see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, the house without people. And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak. Where stumps remain, then it is felled, the holy seed in its stump. Isaiah, I'm sending you to go preach a word that no one wants to hear. Go preach a message that people are going to, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And there's not going to be a, a rousing salvation among the people. Uh, they're going to be a desolate wasteland. They're going to be burned. They're going to be removed to the faraway places. Now, if God told him that first, what do you think he would have done? <laughs> before seeing his glory, before seeing his sin, before seeing the salvation that God offers, if God said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to preach a message that no one is going to like and people are going to put you as an outcast for the rest of your life and they're not going to, you're not going to have any friends, you're going to be lonely and have, really just have a miserable social life. Hey, here I am. <laughs> send me. That's not what the Lord does. The Lord calls us to do a lot of hard things. He calls us to renounce all that we have. He calls us to love him more than our family. He calls us to, to love him more than our comfort. It's a pretty hard calling, but not in light of his glory. When we see it in light of his glory, who shall I send? Send me. Send me. Let's pray. Father, I pray for um, these people, people I love. God, I pray that we would see you in light of your glory. We would see your holiness and how high and lifted up you are, how the, how you're, how the whole earth is full of your glory. That we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And God, I pray that as we see your holiness, we would see ourselves in light of your holiness that without Christ's blood on the cross, without the resurrection, we are undone, we are lost. But God, we thank you for Christ. It took our guilt away. 
who atoned for all our sin. So God, I pray when we hear that call, the gracious call of God, sending us to go and make disciples, we shall respond and say, here I am. Send me. God, here we are. We are the people of Park Baptist Church, God. We want to fulfill your calling, whatever it may be, God, whether it is through for glory or for suffering, God, we say here we are. Send us. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen.